Hello and welcome back to Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? Oh, I'm going good, going good. Uh, just, uh, you know, it's in the, middle, in the middle of spring, changing all my Spotify tunes from sad winter songs to happy, happy spring songs. I found out more about you tonight than I ever thought I would. <laughs> hey, it, 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 I gotta I say this. I found out some very exciting news. Oh, yeah? Russell T. Davies is coming back to Doctor Who. Oh, yay. <laughs> what? You got a problem with Rusty? No, no, I don't have any problem with Rusty. I just have a problem with the with the last remaining, f- uh, what's left of the fandom, <laughs> the Doctor, with, uh, with the news. I, w- I wonder how many of, of it's left, given what's at, what Chibnall and Whittaker did to the, fa- to the show. I'd say it's more Chibnall. I think Jodie can be, can be the Doctor, but... I don't think Chibnall can write for the Doctor. <laughs> Some of his stuff's alright, but a lot of it really misses the mark. <laughs> and after that season finale, I, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> when you when you reckoned it that the origin of the Doctor to basically, oh, I I found this orphan. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that was not popular. Like it was not. It wasn't also. Ba- it wasn't also the fact that Chib they reckon whole um writing of the uh of the of the of doctor's origin it was also the fact that they basically just used it as a platform to just preach to people like oh everybody everything's bad guys this is the, the current times we have to everything is bad i think it's people who say that this is new are bloody idiots because doctor who has always 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 been having digs at politics and religion. In fact, I'd say that some of the older stories from, you know, the 70s were even more aggressive towards religion and politics. I, 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 I mean, I get that, but here's the problem, okay? Back then, it was like, you leave, you leave it to the audience to make up their own minds and do stuff. But this time, it's just, okay, we're, we're going to force people to do this. You know well, what I mean? Just uh, Chris Chibnall can't do subtlety. <laughs> like it, it's it's like go, it, it's like a person. It's like Jodie Whittaker looking at the audience, winking at the camera, and go, and you, and and now you must do this. <laughs> yeah, that's all on on Chibnall. Yeah, and that's what and, and that's why people have just kind of gone. You know what? I'm out of this Doctor Who fandom. <laughs> but if you're uh, gonna well, leave Doctor Who because it's preachy and it has opinions you would have left years ago <laughs> I, i'm i'm li- if you left I, doctor who because of chibnall own it and say that you left because of chibnall <laughs> i i i, I do the doctor she's absolutely fantastic when the spark hits my favorite part of her actually never made it to tv it's her doing the way back when covid started she did a short video on Instagram or Twitter or something, dressed up in her costume, hiding in a cupboard, reminding people to be brave and kind. And that is... The way she did that was very Doctor. But yeah, I... when she's working with Chris Chibnall, everything falls apart. Yep, <laughs> that's what I mean. It's just... <laughs> it, it's just when it's with Chibnall, it's just... like. Uh, Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> that kind of thing. And plus, like, Jodie has some, also, um, has some part to be blamed in terms of, uh, what, what went wrong. 
like for example, uh, like a couple of puff pieces at uh, at Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker, like she doesn't, she wasn't really like grateful at the whole at the whole thing. She was just like, oh, I'm just gonna use this to berate people, <laughs> kind of thing. Okay, and she well, didn't really. Oh, sorry. Not every actor who joins Doctor Who is a Doctor Who fan. Not every like. There's a certain gravity to getting the job. You know, there's 50 years of history there. But not everyone who has had the job has been a super fan. Sometimes it works out that the super fans are absolutely amazing. Peter Capaldi. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be a super fan of Doctor Who to do a good job with it. And We've just been very lucky that the past uh, 10 years or so have been full of super fans. Oh yeah, and they were all. And here's the thing: most of the fan, most of those super fans, like for example, um, David Tennant, uh, Christopher Eccleston, Matt Smith, Capaldi, they were all grateful at the fact that they were all that they were chosen for the role. Like, but when it comes to Jodie Whittaker, you didn't really get the whole like, I'm grateful for this role, that kind of thing. I think she was grateful for it. I think the. Uh... I think it depends on where you're reading because certain interviews definitely play up the whole first female actress playing the doctor and so on. But some of them she did show that she was really into it. Anyway, what's really interesting is that we're getting Russell T Davies back. So if you've gotten to this point and don't know who he is, he was the one responsible for reviving Doctor Who. He was the showrunner from 2005 to 2010. He also did Torchwood. And it's not just him coming back. We've also got some of the key parts of his production team. Oh, yeah? We've got Jane Tranter and Julie Gardner. So they spun off their own studio called Bad Wolf Studios and are now bringing, being brought in as partners on producing Doctor Who. So they're really just cleaning the house out. Just get rid of everything, start from scratch, see what happens. Okay. While Russell T. Davies' edition and Bad Wolf's inclusion into the Doctor Who uh, franchise is a good thing, the big, big question remains. Who is going to play as the Doctor? We don't know yet. That, that's going to be a big one because a lot, because ever since Jodie Whittaker said that she was leaving the Doctor Who role, a lot of people are putting bets on who will be the next Doctor. That happens every time, and I've never put any stock into it, because half the time they're wrong. Like, uh, last I remember, it was, uh, they wanted to act add in a, a gay guy, for example, and put him as the, uh, the first gay doctor, apparently. Well, the BBC does have a bit of a rock and a hard place here. Do they double down and bring in another female doctor, which I think would come across as a bit pandering? Or do they go back and just pick whoever's best for the job, which some people could see as them saying female doctors were a mistake, which they're not. A female actress can play the doctor and can be absolutely fantastic in the role. We all love Ruth. I mean, Actually, uh... that's what really showed up that uh, Jodie Whittaker wasn't getting room to act as the doctor in the show because when Ruth turned up, Ruth absolutely owned it. Yeah, when Ruth showed, yeah, I get that the the Ruth the Ruth character, but the part really get that got to me was the whole yeah <laughs> before um bef- before William Hartnell the first Doctor it was Ruth. <laughs> well, ignoring all of the that, and it's not just Ruth. There's also the 
unnamed doctor who only showed up in the flashbacks as that detective yeah well the so ignoring all of that though Ruth had i can't remember the actress's name uh joe martin joe martin that's it she had a presence that jodie whittaker has been unable to bring for most of the series and i think jodie's definitely capable of it i think it's uh more of the whole environment which I hope is different because uh, Christopher Eccleston himself went through some pretty hard mental health issues while he was working on Doctor Who and ended up anorexic. Hmm, I remember that. And yeah, that's a, a big part of the reason why he didn't come back for the 50th. If he had, then he basically would have filled the role of the War Doctor. But they didn't bring him back because he wanted nothing to do with the BBC. We don't know the full details, we might never find out, but he really didn't get along with BBC when he was there. And he's worked in other stuff since, but I don't think he wants anything to do with Russell T Davies or uh, Keith Fogg, I think, the director at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope, but then, you, but they never say never. I mean, Doctor, I mean, Eccleston's gone back to Doctor Who stuff lately. But only outside the BBC. Which, to be fair, is how most of them do it. But he's not, like, currently he's only doing Big Finish. And it's been, uh, well, 15 years since he was a Doctor. And he's only just getting back into it. A lot of Doctors are into it a lot sooner than that. To be fair, we don't have the biggest sample size. But they don't necessarily wait 15 years. And Big Finish is a separate thing. So none of the production team from Big Finish as far as I know, worked on the show, except for a couple of the other actors. Hmm. I just think it's going to be a bit of a tightrope walk between reliving the glory days and just trying to emulate the original Russell T Davies years without realising what actually made it good and the risk that they'll mess it up that way. And and, uh, the other question is going to be how much creative control Russell have because knowing, because when Chibnall was, tons. Yeah, they basically give the showrunner free reign. Hmm. Because if I recall, like with Chibnall, they didn't really give him that much control. If I recall, really, I, th- no I control. Th- I think so, but I, I, I might. Really? You don't think the guy who retconned literally the entire history of the show had any control? Well, how many writers were under his belt at that time? Well, that's how it's always been, but traditionally there's the showrunner who writes at least the outline for most of the episodes, and in recent years they've been bringing in more and more guest writers, because the showrunner just can't keep up. And that's how Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall both got started on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. They both worked under uh, Russell T Davies. Yeah. But yeah, it's a bit of a long tradition that they'll do... Uh, the majority of the story by a particular showrunning writer and then a handful of other details by um a handful of other episodes by another writer yeah and hopefully i i I hope they bring in some competent writers i mean oh (laughs) there were so many inconsistencies yeah i think with the change they're going to fit in a few more uh well they're basically swapping the entire crew the entire team so i think they'll definitely find a few new people to fill it out i'd like to see neil gaiman come back 
oh, you know who I want to see come back into this new Doctor Who? If Russell T comes back, and I hope, I'm hoping and praying this is beca- this becomes a reality, Murray Gold does the music again. Because goddamn that... Back, but yes. Because goddamn his music was epic. Yeah, I've missed his music. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but okay, the other question I have, though, in terms of... Uh, in terms of Russell T. Davies coming back, it will be, is this the first step to rebuilding, uh, well, rebuilding slash fixing the fandom? I think they, I'm not convinced this isn't a massive Hail Mary where they're pulling out things that they work to try to draw people back in. So it'll depend on whether it ends up as a, just bringing in Russell to the boxes, or if they actually get some quality content out of him. And I hope the BBC doesn't do the whole, alright, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, make this Doctor Who, uh, a Doctor Who show which will tick every box. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a lot of speculation with it. We really don't know a whole lot yet. Yeah, yeah, that's fair, that's fair. The show's been around bloody ever, but we <laughs> never really know what's going to happen next because the format of the show lets them just throw it away and start again if they want to like if if, if, I, if I'm hoping if Russell T Davies if if he does it right I would love to see the Doctor versus the Master well okay yeah that, that does it does feel like we've just added it all over again but at least do a bit of a change to the to the whole Doctor, Doctor versus Master battle I feel like we're gonna get the Master back no matter what <laughs> the only Doctor who I can think of never had the master off the top of my head was Matt Smith. Definitely no. the only new doctor. Oh, um, actually, you might be right. Actually, no, Christopher Eccleston got away with it. But to be fair, Christopher Eccleston's second season was David Tennant's first season. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that had Christopher Eccleston stayed for another two or three years, he would have had those same plot points as well. But mm. by leaving it after the first season, he kind of missed out on a whole lot. He missed out on the Cybermen coming back. He missed out on the, on the Dalek versus Cybermen battle. Yeah. That was a fun battle. I love the sassy argument between the Cybermen and the Daleks before that. <laughs> but see, we will, I, I don't think we'll ever see that in the new Doctor. In the new Doctor Who, we will, we'll never see it, it, it because it will, it will just be... Uh... <laughs> It will just be oh okay, Cybermen. It'll be the thing. It'll be the only villain. Like dialects are, they're technically dead, aren't they? At this point. No, I mean being dead in Doctor Who doesn't mean a whole lot. <laughs> if they want to bring back the Daleks, they'll find an excuse. The same thing that every time they've decided to knock out the Daleks semi-permanently, a year or two later they're like, hey, let's bring back the Daleks. <laughs> Theoretically, from what I've heard, it could be because it's a contractual obligation with the Terry Nation estate. So some weird weirdness went on in the BBC in the 60s. I don't know if it was like that with every show, but some of the original Doctor Who creators got to take away parts of the IP. So Terry Nation's estate owns Daleks. K9 belongs to, uh, what's his name? Something Baker? Not Tom Baker or Colin Baker. But the writer who came up with K9 owns the idea of K9. Oh, yeah. 
But the BBC owns the design of K9. So when that K9 <laughs> spin-off show came out a few years ago, they had to come up with their own K9. K9, uh, hang on a second. Bob Baker. Bob Baker, that's it. So there's a theory that there's a contractual obligation that they have to show the Daleks every year or so, keep access to them with Terry uh, Nation. But that's getting into the internal stuff that we can't really confirm or deny. Oh, do you know? Okay. Do you know it'd be awesome though for uh, I don't know, I don't know whether this might be a, this this may sound stupid but if Russell T Davies also comes if Russell T Davies comes back I would love to see probably like a Sarah Jane story probably I know the character is dead I'm, and the actress okay, is dead good. yeah I know that I mean, not good as in she's dead but I was gonna be like gonna have to burst your bubble there. <laughs> but like maybe we can have like the, the the daughter or something like that, you know? Well, yeah, I wonder if they could reboot Sarah Jane Adventures using the children who aren't children anymore. It's you know been more than ten years since the show started. Yeah, but there are the I don't remember what they were called. There was Clyde. Uh, I never really watched Sarah Jane Adventures. It wasn't really available in Australia at the time. There was. Uh, I might pick it up. Uh, there was a. Uh, Ronnie, Luke, Sarah Jane, Clyde, and Skye. Yeah, so I reckon they could bring back Luke, because Luke himself is an alien clone or something. Yeah, or maybe they could bring in um, Sadie Miller. She is the daughter of uh, Elizabeth Sladen, and she could play as Sarah Jane, as the daughter of Sarah Jane, you know? Well, it wouldn't be the first time a, ch- a child of a doctor has played their parent, because... Uh... Patrick Troughton's son... Damn, I'm doing really badly with names tonight. <laughs> but Patrick Troughton's son has... No, I'm thinking of Pertwee. I might be thinking of Sean Pertwee. Has filled in as his dad in some of the voice episodes, the voice acting parts for Big Finish. Oh, yeah! Per- Sean Pertwee. I have seen him before. He, If my memory says right, he could... He reminds me of someone. His dad? John Pertwee? No, he was um no no, he's the guy who played okay I I he's the guy who plays Alfred in um the series Gotham. That's okay. where I've seen him before. Huh? Oh, I didn't know he was a Doctor Who person too. Huh? Yeah, only in these sorts of side roles. But uh, interestingly, with the uh, with Russell's addition on the sixtieth anniversary, oh that's a very that's a very good uh inclusion. Yeah, he's got a couple of years now to get ready for that. Actually, running out of time now. Uh, let's see, if he wants to get it done by November 2023, he's really only got a bit over two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, okay, overall, with this, with, with Doctor Who, while I think it's great to see Russell coming back, I just hope the BBC and other stuff don't, don't force him, don't force him down the the to- um the throat going like okay we want you to do this and this and this and yeah give him absolute yeah. control i hope he gets as much control as he needs yeah yeah although he does seem pretty excited about doing a cinematic universe oh no <laughs> yeah. why is everyone had a comment okay he was doing it before everyone else did it. he did it before it was cool <laughs> Oh, what there's a is... comment from him here. I was in the middle of running an empire. And my <laughs> god, I did that ten years too soon, didn't I? 
<laughs> there should be a Doctor Who channel now. Oh, God, no. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, he's got some examples. He thinks maybe the Nissa show or the 10th and the 11th Doctor teaming up. I, okay, the 10th and the 11th Doctor, I could see that. Yeah, yeah I could see that. Yeah, yeah. May not oh, be got. They've already done that, remember? The 50th. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, see, I would love to see uh, Matt's, David Tennant, Matt Smith, and. And the Capaldi working together now. That that will be that be great. I've already done that. They did that. Fiftieth. Oh, but but Capaldi it was really... just Peter Capaldi's eyebrows, but he was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that, that's what I mean. Yeah, like I would love to see them all just acting in one screen, just go like, just see them bickering at each other. <laughs> just go like, no, no, you got it wrong. No, you got it wrong. No, you got it wrong. Sort of brains of Morbius style. <laughs> when the uh, the various personalities of the Doctor had a bit of an argument. Yeah, but that's a be- but that's the thing with uh, when um, okay, so it wasn't Russell T Davies, but like there was a lot of like inattention, and that was beautiful what we saw in all of the other with 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 Smith and Tennant. Like there was always this tension within them. Like you didn't really see that in yeah. in in the. Uh, in the Whitaker in the Whitaker saga, it was just like I'm just going to be a hyperactive child and go all over the place. Da, 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 da. That's it. Like, uh. yeah, I think it's definitely a weak point that Jodie Whitaker has never had a chance to go dark because one of the recurring themes of the new revival is basically that the Doctor is a good-hearted person, but if you push the Doctor, the Doctor will go and absolutely wreck you. Uh, unless, unless, and he, he, this may, this may sound comical, unless that whole, remember that there was that scene where she, uh, she and the doc, she and the master were having a Mexican standoff-ish kind of thing, and she has the detonator, I think that was trying to signify her as going, dark. Yeah, so I'm not sure Doctor Who is the show to do a cinematic universe with. Nah. I think there's some fun stuff you could do with. I mean. But I don't. I think you could very easily oversaturate the uh, content, and I don't think it's something to start right now. I think give it a couple of years, build up the popularity again, and then see where you go. And, and here's the question. If they're going to do a cinematic universe, who is really going to be the big, big bad guy? Like, Marvel had Thanos. Uh, DC had Darkseid. It can be whatever you want. It can be uh, the Master again. The <laughs> yeah. Again. The Cybermen again. To be fair, uh, when they last did the sort of cinematic universe thing with Torchwood, it all tied together to the Daleks. That was Even- actually, yeah, Journey's End was, like, people say Avengers is the biggest crossover ever. No, mate, it's Journey's End. <laughs> okay, what about... Journey's um, what- End had the Doctor, Sarah Jane, Torchwood. It, it all came back together for that. I thought the last I thought the last Torchwood uh, story was the um what was it it wasn't um the final episode of Torchwood Miracle Day That's the one yep that's yeah, the one That's a separate timeline but the well technically they're the same universe but they never really crossed over Children of Earth or Miracle Day to Doctor Who uh, Okay Okay so I think it was impacted by Torchwood being an adult show Hmm. 
like literally the second episode of Torchwood is about an alien that possesses people, then has sex with people and sucks their souls out. <laughs> Wait, second? Did you say second episode or? Yeah, the second one. The first one was about uh, using a magical glove to bring people back to life. Wait a uh... minute. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> That's just like, just the plot of an endgame, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have the... Whole... <laughs> they had their crossovers, but obviously you can't have the Doctor meeting up with the guy who fights sexy aliens too often. <laughs> because kids just can't watch that. <laughs> I mean, they, it it worked with Star Trek. <laughs> Torchwood went a bit further than that. But the first, like, it probably would have worked better with season two or three of Torchwood. I reckon the first season they were, like, over-the-top adult to try to distinguish themselves. Then the second season they settled in and did some really good character work on the Torchwood team. Children of Earth is a really good story. And then Miracle Day was a bit rubbish. Because it was dragged out too long, I think. But, so anyway, they can't just slam them together because of the adult content in Torchwood. You can't put that in Doctor Who. But they have done big cinematic universe crossovers before. Yeah, yeah. So, moving along, we've ended up talking about this a lot more than I'd planned. (laughs) But that's just how, you know, excited I am for this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's absolutely nuts news that I never expected to happen. And I didn't realise I would be so excited for it to happen, but I am. I want Doctor Who to be exciting and big again. I want people to be talking about it, and not in a bad way. Well, hopefully the BBC won't, uh, won't, won't, uh, screw it up. Yes, hopefully. So, for our second topic tonight, when did you last upgrade your computer? Uh, not too long ago, actually. Not too long ago. I know, I helped you. Yep. <laughs> it was fun. And it was, was bloody expensive, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Very expensive. Especially the... Way... Uh, Sorry? Especially the graphics card. Yeah, graphics cards are awful right now. Ugh. We're seeing a really weird shift in the market right now. So back in the 90s, PC gaming was expensive. You'd have to upgrade your computer every year or two because the gra- rate of change in the industry was just that high. Then in the 2000s and 2010s, it settled down. Things were nice and calm. You could buy a part and get a few years out of it. Particularly when AMD flopped and Intel didn't bother doing anything innovate for the next 10 years. But now we've got Ryzen and AMD has got some amazing stuff coming out. But Intel has realized what's going on and started innovating. And you know, I think it, the last couple of years, in terms of technological advance have been some of the most exciting in PC gaming in a long time. But you can't get any of the parts because of the bloody silicon shortage. <laughs> and when you can get the parts, you can't get them for a reasonable price. Nah, it's gaming always... on PC is now a, like, super rich people thing. <laughs> it's a pipe dream at this point. Yeah, you used to be able to build a gaming PC for about the same as the cost of an Xbox. It wouldn't always perform exactly the same as an Xbox. It was, you know, we used to talk about console killer PCs because at that point, 
manufacturers were actually making GPUs and CPUs that were competitive with the consoles and selling them at a competitive price. Unfortunately, with the massive silicon shortage right now, and it doesn't look like that's going to go anywhere anytime soon, it's become completely impossible to buy even the lowest end parts for a reasonable price. Along with that, they've stopped making the cheap parts as well. The entry level parts just don't seem to be getting made, probably because of the silicon shortage. Why sell a part that only goes for two or three hundred bucks? You can sell a part that you know will go for a thousand. Could it also be the fact that uh, COVID is affecting the situation as well? Well, that's part of the reason for the silicon shortage. Uh. There was. It's a big, complicated ball of mess, but with the start of COVID, you know, two years ago nearly, some of the silicon. Well were shut down because of the because their employees were infected. Car manufacturers decided not to buy any silicon that year because nobody's going to buy a car in a pandemic. For some reason, people bought cars in a pandemic. <laughs> and suddenly there wasn't enough silicon supply to go around. And that's led to absolutely insane things like parts that are three or four years old selling for more than they did when they were new. And not to mention now nowadays with uh, some parts, they've decided to uh, go into the um, the Bitcoin market mining era. Yeah, Nvidia's uh, crypto mining platform. Bloody hate it. It's just like, anti-environment, anti-consumer. They're diverting chips from graphics card development to make crypto mining cards, which are good for a year or two, and then go straight into the garbage. But people will still use a graphics card that's a few years old. People will still buy it off you if you want to sell it. Even before uh, the ridiculous price hikes. Yeah. and But then here's the thing though. NVIDIA has invested a lot of money in it though. Of course they do. That's what any company that wants to make money does. And the sad, and, and the sad part is people are... You're seeing lots of people just buying a bucket load of... of um. GPUs with crypto mining abilities and running them constantly. Yeah. Like I saw one video where someone bought like 30 GPUs and just run them constantly in a room. I mean, Jesus. That can be bad for you, actually. Chubby Emu has a video about a guy who had a heat stroke because he was running too much mining stuff in his bedroom. Wait, what? He was running like a dozen computers in his bedroom and it just got too hot and he had heat stroke. Damn. Yeah, if you want to have some fun, go to PC Part Picker, pick a part, and then look at the price history for the last two years. Unfortunately, the price history doesn't go back any further than that. But some of the parts there, you can see a massive spike in the the price from reasonable to ridiculous. Alright, uh, let's see. Uh, what part shall we look at first? Um, let's look at the RX 580. That's the card I'm using myself. Okay. RX uh, 580. If I look at this particular RX 580, I can see that in October 2019, it was selling for about 300 bucks. In July 2021, it was selling for 430. Which version Not are you... A huge jump, but definitely more. Which is odd, because usually computer parts get cheaper the order they get. Which version, by the way? Uh, this is the... This one in particular, the Asus Radeon RX 580 8GB card. 
Okay. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Sure. So this is... I'm a bit worried about the future of PC gaming. I can't buy for any amount of money parts to help my friends build computers. I try to start my own PC building business at one point. I still do, you know, one or two a year for friends, but it's gotten ridiculous. It's at the point where I literally cannot compete as an independent, and I tell people to go to the major companies that can buy directly from NVIDIA and AMD. It's a very confusing time, and I'm a bit worried that in another year or two, will we still have a budget gaming option that isn't a console? I don't know, man. Like the amount of scalping that's been that uh, has been going on in the last few months, and how people are just doing this for the crypto. I mean, if crypto crashes, eh, I think the value of the GPUs will go down significantly. I hope it does. But I hope in t- the price goes way down. I mean, have you seen the recent news of uh, crypto in, uh, from China? Yeah, the swing so far hasn't been that big. Like, there's email, not emails, headlines that are all like, Crypto crash, run! But <laughs> it's not that much of a change, realistically. Like, compared to other swings over the course of a week or a month, it's not a huge difference. But what really hurts here, what crushes my heart, what kills me, is having to say, go buy a console. Oh, that, that does suck. That does suck. And that's what's happened yeah. now. And, and, and that's yeah, what's crazy. The that... consoles are built from... You can get a console at retail price. You just can't beat that for gaming value with PC. And I hate saying that. Because I've always said PCs are better. You get better performance. You can get better prices. You can get... Better customization and stuff. like Yeah, better customization. You can play all sorts of indie games. But now that indie games are more common on consoles, it's really hard not to say buy a console. <laughs> and it's hurting me, DJ. <laughs> to, to quote Sheldon Cooper, there, there. There, there. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. For if... custom building PCs right now. Nah, it's no place. I mean, if you, if if you, Nvidia decides to go, okay, we're gonna stop doing the uh, crypto marketing. We're gonna stop entering into the crypto marketing, which I doubt they'll do. Then, yeah, maybe there is hope. It probably won't make a big difference because the scalping and crypto miners are just taking it all anyway. Nah, nah. and I think they've taken, and I think they've basically taken the fun out of. Like building PCs and what and yeah, building your PC is fun. It's an easy way to learn a little bit about electronics computers. It's uh, the sort of thing that should be more accessible to people. Yeah, not just because I want people to play games, but because I think that you know, learning how to build a PC and put it together and then install an operating system teaches you a lot about the computer that you're not going to know just by pre-built. Or worse, if you only use consoles and phones. There's actually, not to get all kids these days, but one thing <laughs> I've heard from some just is that some kids these days don't know how to use a mouse or a keyboard properly. <laughs> because they've grown up with tablets. And look, I don't want to get all kids these days because that's 
stupid and you just what you just said it though. I did, <laughs> but if, you know, I want people to love technology because it's such a integral part of our lives. But okay, is that, that that brings a very interesting question though in terms of technology. Do you reckon we're getting too ahead of ourselves in terms of the amount of tech that we're seeing? What do you mean? Like how um, GPUs are getting faster and faster in terms of it becoming like more like consoles and whatnot. Like consoles are getting more and more, more and more like PCs and console. And, yeah, yeah. Consoles are getting more and more like PCs. I think that's intentional because building a x86 based console is easier than building one on a custom architecture. Developing for it is easier because then you're just using an extremely well understood architecture. That was one of the problems with the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 2. Actually, the PlayStation's in general. Because the Xbox has always, I think, always been x86. But PlayStation has liked to do its own thing. Developing for the PlayStation was a lot harder. You could get some, if you really optimized, you could get some really interesting performance and graphics and stuff. But how many people are going to bother doing that for their game? How many games really need that? And then the new consoles are basically built using off-the-shelf parts. I can't buy the parts because of contracts, but they're not all that different to the parts that I can buy. So I think intentional thing they're doing to drive people to consoles. And mm. I think Microsoft wants that. I don't know about Sony so much, but Microsoft would love to have more control over your tech. Because Microsoft have worked out that the way to make money right now is to create a system and then sell stuff to go with it. And they can get a bigger cut from people buying games and software for a, an Xbox than they can for selling stuff for PC. Could you see Google doing this in the well, lot in the near future? Well, tried to get into consoles with Stadia, which went about oh, yeah. as well as you'd expect. <laughs> Yeah, it was as well. Yeah, it was as well as uh, as someone trying to try to do a bomb in the pool, but didn't work out. <laughs> but um, what, but what about operating system wise though? You have though? the weirdest bloody metaphors. I know. <laughs> but what about operate OS wise though? You reckon Google would join the OS market? They already have. Android is based on Linux and is an operating system. True, true. Uh, but that's Chrome only for OS is also. Somewhere in between a desktop Linux and Android. Hmm. Google are already in the OS business. Okay. Uh, we should move it along to our next topic. More technology, because we love technology here. <laughs> and for once, it's an Aussie piece of tech. Yay. <laughs> hey, don't sound so glum. An Aussie startup has made a new solar cell, which is significantly... And when I say significantly, it's going to sound like nothing, but it's significantly cheaper and more efficient than existing tech. So when I say that, their cell is 25.54% efficient. That means that for every 100% of sunlight that hits it, it absorbs 25.54% of that energy and converts it to electricity. Prior to that, the record was 25.26%. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's pretty big deal, solar tech. Mm. And that big secret is using copper instead of silver. Currently, um, solar cells use up about 15% of the world's industrial silver. Copper is a lot more abundant. 
So they've not only improved the tech, they've also made it cheaper and easier to make. So now can we put solar panels everywhere? Ooh. Although the downside's going to be, I wonder how many solar panel ads are we going to see on YouTube now? <laughs> uh, whenever I turn off ad block, I get tons of ads about the solar rebates. <laughs> it's like, I don't even quiz. own a house. How am I going to put solar on a rental? <laughs> like, I'm Just... a I'm probably never going to own a house. <laughs> oh. Like, it's like, quiz, like, solar rebates. Like, stop, please, stop. Yeah, I've never looked at them. I'm sure half of them are scams. <laughs> but the uh, so good news is we have this coming from inside Australia and they're working on building a facility to mass-produce it here. It should be very nice to have a locally mass-produced solar cell. I mean, it's good to see like uh, local companies uh, designing new tech and, uh, and improving stuff. Good to see it. What's going to be interesting is how are you going to play this how how are you gonna play this in other in other climates? Like Australian climate is one thing, but trying to do it on other climates is gonna be very it'll be a big test. Yeah, one of the big issues with renewable energy has traditionally been transporting the energy and storing the energy, because renewables have never been able to run twenty four seven. Well, some of them can, but the ones you think of, wind and solar, don't. For obvious reasons, sometimes the sun's not up, sometimes it's not windy. You can work around that by combining the two. Often when it's not sunny, it's windy. Often when it's not windy, it's sunny. But obviously there's still some issues. Then you have energy storage, which there are ways to do it which are efficient. Pumped hydro is a popular one. Not so great in Australia because we don't have any hills. So... Where do you think would be the best uh best place to start testing it out if you want to, if you want to see this uh applicable in the worldwide front? Well, I think just start building these instead of regular silver solar panels. It's cheaper and uses less energy to manufacture. So if they can get mass production down, which to be fair is a major issue with a lot of tech like carbon nanotubes, which anything except leave the lab. But if they can get this thing mass produced. It will be you know, a game changer for solar production. And by making it so much cheaper, this means you have the resources to build more solar to make up for the days that it's cloudy. Another question would be how long before Elon Musk buys the, buys the tech? Look, as much as I can't stand the guy, if he bought this, I'd be happy because he'd be backing a technology that's great. Like He already has Solar City, but I think it was a bit of a flop. But maybe if they could make these cheaper, it would work out better. I don't know. I'm not a, an expert in business. I mean, I think if I recall, uh, Elon did do something about Adelaide's uh, power crisis at one yeah, point. Yeah, Elon uh, sponsoring South Australia Battery Bank because we found out that South Australia can't make enough power for itself. So it gets a lot of power from the other states, but there's no redundancy in that. So when you power power use spikes in South Australia, it can cause the whole system to crash. Or if the wind blows over the power line, the whole system crashes. We didn't plan that one very well, did we? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Hornsdale Power Supply, power Reserve, that's what it was called. 
Yeah, and I think that was built using battery packs developed by Tesla. Yeah, yeah, for a capital cost of ninety million. But I think it worked out to be free for uh, Australia, didn't it? Yeah, like, he they... basically donated it because he had some deal that if it didn't do X, it would be free. Did that come to fruition? Uh, actually, it was a wait. He... So Elon Musk placed a wager that the battery would be completed within a hundred days from contract signature. Otherwise, the battery would be free. Would be uh, uh, free. Yeah. So Tesla so has. Did... Oh. What did it cost? Did it come out for free? Uh, the sixty so the sixty three days between the grid contract and completion easily beat Musk's wager of a hundred okay. days. So fair enough. I suppose that's the deal he made. He can have the money. <laughs> I'm quite excited about this, and it's nice to see some high tech, cool stuff going on here. Something that isn't mining, mining or sheep. You see, there's more sheep in Australia than there are in New Zealand. <laughs> the thing is, we don't have an association of doing things to the sheep because we don't do it. Like, so you don't. Oh, so, you don't sorry. get an association for being inappropriate around sheep by not being inappropriate around sheep. So, <laughs> man, that's that's confusing. My brain, out oh, my brain. All right. Well, I'll give you a moment for it to recover while we do our sponsor break, and then move on to the shout out. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So first up, we have on the 20th of September, Mark McGinty, the video game artist who produced cover art for Street Fighter 2 and Streets of Rage 2. He passed away, he passed away on the 20th of September. So I'm assuming you know about this guy, right, DJ? You're a fighting game fan. Yeah, he was. Uh, so he was the man behind the legendary Street Fighter Two album uh, game cover. I mean, the Western version, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and uh, boy, Street Fighter Two that was a great game back in the day. Actually, speaking of like Western version game art, I love uh, the Ashens videos. He does lectures about terrible games and stuff sometimes <laughs> uh, one of them he did was terrible video game art and it compares some of the art for games in japan and in the west this one is one that's aged a bit better than some of the ones ashens goes on about <laughs> the 21st of september endangered south african penguins 63 of them were killed by a swarm of bees near cape town Ooh. Yes, it's the first known attack at Boulder's Beach. Usually the penguins and bees coexist. Unfortunate that this has happened because this is just going to pro- further provoke the war between the winds and the and the bees. You know which side we stand on, don't we, DJ? Oh yes, yes. Penguins forever. Oh yes, and uh, we shall we, we we shall finish building the uh, our first battle cruiser and name it the SS Penguin. Yeah, I hope they get this sorted out. 60, like, I don't know how many of these 
um, African penguins there are in the wild, but 60 is quite a large chunk of them who die in... <laughs> I hope it hasn't completely destroyed the breeding population. And on the 22nd of September, we pass the 10th anniversary of Dark Souls. Oh boy. Yeah, that one's quite a famous one. <laughs> so, uh, so, how many times have you uh, failed in that game? I haven't played it. Oh, you... I plan to, but I haven't played it. Oh, you lucky soul. <laughs> yeah, despite being ridiculously hard, people seem to love it. Well, they, they, they seem to love it because they're gluttons for punishment. I mean, that game is punishingly hard. Yeah, there's a lot of spin-offs and inspirations that have come up from that series. I mean, it's one of those ones that I, I've been meaning to get in really my teeth into it. Because it seems like one of those games where you want to get into and then spend a good amount of time working on it. I just haven't. The, and I th if I recall, the the studio behind the Dark Souls game is now uh, working with George R. 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 Martin. <laughs> in an, yeah, in on a... Elden Ring. Yeah. That looks interesting. I'm not sure if it'll ever be finished, though. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we're, we're looking at George R. R. Martin's uh, work ethic yeah. here. Yeah, maybe the game will be finished, but the story won't. <laughs> nah. Speaking of story, though, the Dark Souls story is very... It's it's nobody has ever figured out what the story of the Dark Souls is. Really, I thought people were quite across that. Like, there's a lot of piecing it together from the multiple games, but I thought people yeah. understood that. Yeah, there was a con. Uh, uh, I recall there was a contest uh, to say what was the uh, Dark Souls story, and yeah, there we go. It was a lore contest. Here we go. So yeah, Bandai. So, hang on a second. He made a video. He made a video about it. The biography. Uh, okay, I tell me more. Somebody made a video for a law contest. Yep. And what they got it wrong? Uh, they got it right. It was a. It was, it was ten. It was a ten thousand dollar reward for it. Oh, that's pretty cool. And on the twenty fourth of September, we had the anniversary, the twentieth one of, uh, Eco, spelled I C O. By the developers who are probably better known for the Shadow of the Colossus and The Last Guardian. That's another one with a confusing plot that people love. It's interesting that they do the storytelling with minimal dialogue. Funnily enough, uh, Hidetaki Miyazaki from Software, who created Demon Souls and Dark Souls, is a big of eco. And for our remembrances, on the 21st of September 1984, Mikimoto Kochiki? Sure, sorry. A Japanese entrepreneur who created the first cultured pearl. It's hard to believe that cultured pearls have only been around for, you know, a hundred years or so. I mean, it's insane how the uh, how the pearl industry is is lucrative. Out of the, well, they're uh, rare uh, and interesting to look at, so lots oh of people yeah. want to spend money on it. Oh yeah. So after his death in nineteen. Mikimoto was honoured as one of uh, Japan's 10 greatest inventors by the Japanese Patent Office. It's really interesting that it took them this long to figure it out as well. They basically take a, uh, a pearl and mix in a bit of irritant. I think they use mussel shell mostly these days. And the, the oyster grows a pearl around the irritant. And he actually started working with his first pearl oyster farm in 1888. And created the Pearl in 1893. It's a very long, long process. <laughs> yeah, 
He died at 96 in Japan. The whole process takes months or years. Mm. We actually have a decently sized pearl industry up in Western Australia. Oh, yeah. I don't know how much of it is still active. Uh, I understand it's a lot smaller now that cultured pearls are more common. But there's still prestige in buying, you know, natural pearls. I mean, can you imagine as well with uh, the cultured pearls, like, trying to find the authenticity of it? It'd be very, very um, hard to do it, though. Yeah, it would be hard because you just, the oyster's just doing what it does naturally. And for our famous birthday on the 21st of September 1902, we have Alan Lane, a British publisher who, with his brothers Richard and John, founded Penguin Books in 1935. He worked at Bodley Head and became managing editor in 1925. After conflict with the board of directors, who were fearful of being prosecuted for publishing Ulysses, Lane joined up with Richard and John to found Penguin Books and publish Ulysses themselves. And the the legend, which is actually in the back of a lot of books, um, is that Alan Lane was on a train platform and had nothing to read. He was from visiting Agatha Christie in 1934. <laughs> then he was like, hey, what if we made books? And, like, really cheap books that you can just buy at a train station. <laughs> the first penguin book vending machine was set up outside Henderson's in Charing Cross Road and called Penguin Cubator. <laughs> Man, naming was not their best, was not their strong suit, wasn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Other booksellers and authors were against paperbacks, thinking that people would spend less money on books. I don't know, that... being able to buy cheap paperbacks is, like, pretty significant, I think. <laughs> That statement has not aged well. <laughs> yeah. Although, mind you, when, although mind you, I bet you they might be laughing now, now that online is coming into the fold. Yeah, well, there's a lot of bookstores that have shut down in the past 20 years mm. who absolutely failed and missed the boat of becoming online booksellers. And that's where Amazon came in. Yep. <laughs> For our event of interest, on the 21st of September 2003, we have the termination of the Galileo probe. So, because of concerns about the Galileo probe carrying contamination to other planets, which is a big issue. If you find aliens, how do you know they were there before we got there? How do you know that they haven't been contaminated by a previous space mission? So, they decided the solution is to take the uh, Galileo probe and throw it into Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal these days about sterilizing spaceships, uh, particularly landers for other planets. There was a serious debate about curiosity, especially when they realized somebody hadn't sterilized the drill bits. Wait, was that actually a thing, or is this... No, it's a real thing. They forgot to sterilize the drill bits and didn't realize until they got to Mars. Oh, no. They did, it was obviously too late. <laughs> I'd hate to be the intern who forgot to tr clean that. Yeah. <laughs> and on the 21st of September 1994, Dinosaur Island released in Japan on home video. The premise is that an army captain flying three misfit deserters home for court martial crash lands on an uncharted island. They find a primitive society of cave women who sacrifice virgins to appease the Great One. A dinosaur on the island, mistaken for gods. <laughs> The men must destroy the Great One or face death. But meanwhile, they fall in love. 
<laughs> Why does it remind me of a certain Futurama episode? Futurama borrowed a lot from Sci-Fi. <laughs> Remember that? You know which episode I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah, Amazon Women in the Mood. Yep. <laughs> oh. I wonder I if... It, like I, the, I, that the synopsis is ambiguous. You don't know <laughs> that the men fell in love with the Amazons. Maybe they fell in love with each other. <laughs> the real love was the prisoners we met along the way. And something that definitely wouldn't fly these days. Actress Antonia Dorian had to do a, a topless scene. She was, like, a love scene as well. So she was nervous because she was on a set surrounded by men with everyone staring at her. The director gave her wine to calm her nerves. <laughs> I mean... There, there have been worse, though. I mean, what was it? Uh, you remember the movie Apocalypse Now? Yep. Okay, so there's a there's an interesting fact in that movie where uh, Dennis Hopper couldn't perform and he was low energy, and uh, James Coppola asked, "Okay, what would you, what what do you need for you to improve your performance?" And and Hopper says, "I I want cocaine, lots of it." And <laughs> Coppola went done. <laughs> So, hell, the world was a different place back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so basically, his entire portrayal in the movie was him just high as a kite. <laughs> I also like that they messed up the blocking for uh, one scene where the warriors are chasing a dinosaur, and you can see houses in the background. <laughs> You'd think that would be a pretty simple thing to check for. Uh-huh. <laughs> Badger uh, that's what we have for tonight, DJ. Where can they find us? Yeah, you can find they can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, that's our canon.com. We have an archive of our old, old and new episodes, and uh, that's our canon podcast, such as Cast Party. Uh, quiet on set. We're rolling in three, two. Welcome to Cast Party, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast thrust into the world of D and D. Four cast and crew members from a Hollywood film set to find themselves with new powers in very new places on an adventure none of them really know how to process. Follow along as our director, Colin McManus, leads our cast and crew consisting of Ryan McManus, Anna Binsman, Nigel De- Deacon, and Vincent Perino through this gripping and hilarious story. And keep an eye out for our new project launching sh- soon, Nerdful Things. Uh, that's going to be our new media review podcast, which will also feature a book club segment. And the first book club segment is going to be Forbidden Planet. So see if you can track down a copy of that for yourself before we spoil it for you. Look after yourself, stay hydrated, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. Come on, DJ, put some energy into it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.